Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss how humor can play a role in the customer experience, an unlikely alliance of fierce competitors, and a marketplace that helps bars set prices based on supply and demand. Smiles, sodas, and sips. Oh my. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty-gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Truth be told, Joey and I get a lot of solicitations from agencies for segments on this show or for blog posts. And frankly, they all kind of sound the same. Oftentimes, they're offering us someone to interview, and they obviously haven't listened to the show because they know we don't do interviews. But one email recently stuck out from the crowd. I bet I know which one you're talking about. Are you talking about the message from Obedient Agency? How did you know, Joey? Ah, Go ahead and you tell them why I knew. Well, you see, folks, when you take the time to be memorable, you really can stand out from the crowd. So agency co-founders Lindsay Rush and Allie Lefevre reached out with this gem of an opening in their email. And I'm quoting, cold emails suck, but we're going for it anyway. Actually, we like to think of this as a cool email, not a cold email, because we're coming in hot to nonchalantly volunteer ourselves as guests, unquote. Then they quickly explained how their humor marketing agency was formed. I'm quoting again. Two creative entrepreneurs walk into a bar. Psst, it's founders Allie Lefevre and Lindsay Rush. Before last call, the bar has a better name, a powerful, hilarious marketing strategy, and a ballsy new sign out front, unquote. And they finished their email with this brand promise. Quote, we know one thing for sure. If you can make people laugh, you can make them do anything. And we mean anything. So suffice it to say, their email got our attention, and we asked them to talk a bit about how humor plays into the customer experience. Let's listen to what they had to say. Hey, everyone. We are the founders of Obedient Agency. I'm Lindsay Rush. And I'm Allie Lefevre. And today we're going to talk about how humor impacts the customer experience. And we're going to do it in two minutes or less. No pressure. (laughs) So what we do at Obedient is we launch brands based on the idea that fun sells. So fun sells for a number of reasons, but to speak to your main question for us regarding how humor impacts customer experience, we'll focus on two big things. Humor is a value give and humor is humanizing. So when we say that humor is humanizing, we mean that people want to be in the presence of things that make them feel good. So humor and play and fun is an invitation and is inclusive. So it's sort of the marketing and branding equivalent of the way a group of friends rally around an inside joke or experience. It's incredibly engaging. So we often say that humor is the truth having fun. And so you get to communicate this message that you need your customers to understand, but in a very playful, fun way that sticks with them. Because who doesn't want to have more fun in their life? So creative humor is effective because it builds trust and loyalty and enthusiasm. 
And like we said, humor is also a value give. So before you've even asked your audience for a single dime, you've already deposited into their relationship bank account by giving them something priceless, entertainment, surprise, delight, a smile, a laugh, a chance to engage with your brand in a way that makes them feel good. So the customer's experience off the bat is already positive. And additionally, research shows that there are only three emotions that truly lock in an experience. Uh, fear, grief, and laughter. And people are so used to having their insecurities and, and inadequacies preyed upon in branding and marketing that evoking laughter in your audience is a fresh, unexpected way to engage customers, both for short-term acquisition and long-term engagement. So one thing that's important to note is that all humor is not created equal. Um, when we launch brands and work on brand campaigns, we develop a fine-tuned, nuance-filled, laser-focused humor identity based on goals, objectives, and their audience psyche. So we want to use humor and play and surprise and delight that speaks exactly to the right people and accomplishes the exact right goals for the brands. Consumers are really smart and they're sensitive to being sold to. So if you just use humor willy-nilly and hope that it lands, it ends up being painful and obvious and basically pointless. So if it is not targeted properly, if it's not strategic, it won't work. So we think that humor is, it's a tricky tool that not everybody can do, but it's something that everybody will love. Like your customers will love it. And in conclusion, (laughs) of all the creative tools, you know, humor and fun do so much heavy lifting. It lowers barriers, invites people in, it gives them a gift, it builds trust, it cements a brand experience in their brain and motivates them to take action. So that is our little (laughs) shtick. And we can't wait to hear your guys's thought and we will listen and tune into the pod thanks guys thank you so there's a lot to unpack here especially since they nonchalantly blew past their two-minute limit so i thought i'd pull out a few key points and get your thoughts joey the first was humor is humanizing people want to be in the presence of things that make them feel good so true So true. I mean, here's the thing. I think for too long in businesses, we've been saying, well, there's business and there's personal. Folks, business is personal. And when it comes to our personal lives, we want to be engaged. We want to feel good. There's a lot of life that is not humanizing. And so when you can bring humor to the table in your messaging, in your branding, in your marketing, it takes the game to a different level. So totally agree with them. Humor is humanizing and a fantastic technique, if you will, or device that all brands should be exploring. So I also loved the second part of that, which is that humor is a value give. Before you ask for something, you've already, in their words, deposited something into their relationship bank account by giving them something, which in this case is entertainment or a smile or a laugh. Agreed. I, again, I think it's one of those things where we all, or I imagine most listeners have had the experience where someone unexpectedly smiled at you, or you were in a scenario and somebody did something funny or told a joke and you laughed and you had a little spring in your step. You felt a little lighter. You felt a little more engaged. As one of two parents of a five-year-old and a three-year-old, my boys are doing this all the time where they're doing just ridiculous stuff that makes me laugh and allows me to feel more present and more connected because they've been entertaining. So another one that I thought was really interesting, and I'm going to jump to this one because I think it also (laughs) relates to kids possibly, is that there are three emotions that truly lock in an experience, fear, grief, and laughter. Now, at least two of those three, I would say fear and laughter are definitely part of being a parent. Hopefully, for anybody listening, grief does not become one. But what did you think of those 
three particular emotions as locking in an experience. I, again, it, it sounds like I'm a broken record here saying I agreed, but I did. I think what particularly stood out to me in their pointing out of these three emotions is here as we record this in 2019, in lots of our media and in lots of our both print and online and TV and radio, fear is kind of the driving element. And I think there is a huge opportunity, an absolutely huge opportunity for laughter to come to the table. I don't know about you, but there are a couple of friends I have that whenever we get together, I go into it knowing that my sides are going to hurt. You know, we probably all have that one friend who, whenever you're with them, they're just, they're funny, they're entertaining. And I think laughter is a hallmark of most of the memorable experiences of our life. Yeah, I definitely think that's true too. And sort of to that end, one of the other points that I took out was that creative humor builds trust and loyalty. And that one caught me for a minute because I kind of had to think about that and was thinking, well, okay, is it really true that when I laugh, I'm going to be more loyal to a brand or that I'm going to trust them more. And then I started thinking about the brands that often show up in social media or get written up in a positive way. And often there is some humor involved in there. There is. And again, I think it's because so many brands are afraid to use humor or either they don't think of it or when they do think of it, they get afraid of it. And, you know, that comes to one of the comments that was made about the fact that humor needs to be targeted properly and strategically. Now, here's the thing. Let's be candid. You're going to make mistakes. If you try to use humor, there are going to be some jokes that don't hit. There are going to be some things that you say that maybe actually cut the other way. They're actually borderline offensive. On one hand, that's a reason not to use humor, but I would posit that, you know, to those who aren't willing to risk, there isn't as great of reward. If you are willing to try to do something a little fun or a little edgy or a little quirky, it is going to stand out in the marketplace. And any loss that you have, I think is going to be dramatically offset by the increased in trust and loyalty and customers who love what you're putting down. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, we've said on the show before, for that that humor can be risky and that something that I find funny, you might find offensive. And so it's something you have to watch out for. But I do agree with the risk reward. I'm actually reminded of an episode that we did way back in season one. It was episode 26 and I just looked it up. So I'm not Rain Man or anything. <laughs> Dan is Rain Man when it comes to the episodes. If you would have said to me, I will give you a million dollars if you can tell me what episode this is, I would have no idea. And it could have been the last episode. In episode 26, don't make me lose my train of thought, we talked about this awesome ad from Ikea where they were asking women to pee on the ad. And if uh, and, and there was uh, the technology that was similar to an at-home pregnancy test. So it was if you were pregnant, you got a discount on a crib. And I've shared that example on stage a number of times. And what's interesting to me is people give the feedback that they either love that or that they somewhat find it offensive. And I think, you know, we felt that it worked, but maybe that's a, it's a great example of sort of right being on that fine line, I would say. I understand the the concern and I agree with what you had said earlier. If you are incorporating humor, you are going to alienate some people. So make it a conscious choice. 
Make it a conscious choice to say, yeah, some of the people might like this and I do not care. I, for example, tell a story from stage lots of time about a book, a children's book called Go the F to Sleep. Now, those of you that are listening can fill in the blanks and imagine what it is. And I never say it from stage. It gets a roar of laughter. People totally engage with it because it's a children's book. And anybody who's had a small child can imagine what a book like that might be like. And it was a New York Times bestseller and it sold kajillion copies and all that. But every time I do it, somebody says, I thought that was offensive. And I'm like, what was offensive? Well, that you said that from the stage. That I said what? The letter F? (laughs) There's nothing offensive about the letter F. You filled in the blanks, and if you want to fill in the blanks and then presuppose your belief system around that, well, that's totally fine. But, you know, I hinted at it, sure, but I didn't do it. And so I think in an era where people are increasingly sensitive, be careful using humor, but I think it's worth it. I think it's worth rolling the dice. And I think uh, what Lindsay and Ali outline uh, with their work and their work at Obedient Agency is really quite impressive in that regard. Yeah, I agree. And I think that actually leads perfectly to our last piece, which is that people are used to having their insecurities and inadequacies preyed upon in marketing. So laughter is a fresh, unexpected way to engage customers. And that is totally true that too much marketing today preys on that, right? You just have to look at any marketing for hair loss or for uh, different diseases that require a prescription medicine or whatever it is, it's preying on insecurities. So I agree. I love it. And I think that laughter is a great way to go if you can do it in a way that is consistent and witty without being offensive. So thanks to the funny ladies, Lindsay and Allie at Obedient Agency for getting our attention and for making us laugh. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. So we're going to do kind of an atypical CX Press this week in that it's not an article that we're citing, but it's actually a website that I happened upon after seeing a TV commercial. See, TV does work for marketing. <laughs> At least for Dan. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the TV commercial sent me to a website called balanceus.org. And here's what I saw when I hit the website. America's beverage companies, Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, and Pepsi have come together with the American Beverage Association to support your family's efforts to balance what you eat, drink, and do. We know an important part of finding that balance is reducing the sugar from beverages in your family's diet, so we're backing you up with ways to make it easier. Then they go into some industry efforts that they're all working on together. And number one was cutting sugar in the American diet. And they have set a goal to reduce beverage calories an additional 20% per person by 2025. They've added signs on coolers and displays to remind people to think about a healthy lifestyle. And they've offered more choices, including smaller portions and a wider range of beverages with either less sugar or no sugar. And finally, they have also put calorie info right up front, making it easier, according to the website, to find the beverage that's right for you with clear calorie information on the front of every product. I'm imagining that there might be some of our listeners that are thinking the way I was thinking when I first heard about this from you, Dan. I'm a little skeptical 
I'm a little skeptical, right? Because on one hand, it's great that they're getting together and working together, and we can talk more about that. But there's a ton of sugar in soft drinks, a ton of sugar. And reducing by 20% is, you know, oh, great. So instead of having 24 spoonfuls of sugar, we'll only have 20 spoonfuls of sugar per glass, you know? So I don't know. I, I wonder if when I heard about the signs on the coolers and, you know, make better choices and things like that, I'd be lying if I didn't say the image that came up in my mind was the warning labels on cigarettes, right? That are kind of like, hey, be careful about the choices you're making as you make the choice that you know is bad for you. It's like putting that label on a bottle of soda. I'm not sure that it's going to have that desired effect. I don't mean to sound skeptical. I'm just, I'm concerned. Yeah, I think that's a fair call out. And it's unclear to me. I mean, we didn't interview anyone for this segment. This is really just taking what uh, we learned on the website. And it's unclear to me whether this campaign is being done in anticipation of legislation or in response dun, to dun, legislation dun. or <laughs> yeah. you know or whatever there's but. a lot of places that have implemented huge taxes on soft drinks there's a lot of like local municipalities who have eliminated soft drinks from the schools and their jurisdiction and things like that so my gut instinct is that these companies might have seen the writing on the wall a little and to your point they might be trying to get ahead of regulation by saying wait wait we'll regulate ourselves which is not a bad choice on their part and is probably a smart and strategic choice. But it, it's interesting to just see. I'd be curious as to what's motivating it. Yeah. And I think the good news in all of this is that I think what they're doing is still really positive. So even if they are doing it for reasons that you know we may or may not agree with, I think what they're doing is positive. So for example, they're paying particular attention to marketing at kids. As a marketer of 20 years, like this is a really important thing. And I dealt with this at McDonald's all the time as well, that that, you know, there are laws around marketing to kids and and you have to be careful there. So they are making they, they said they're taking voluntary efforts to remove full calorie soft drinks from schools, for example, which I think most people would say is a good thing. No matter why they're doing it, that's a good thing to remove the full calorie sodas from schools. And then they've also made a commitment to parents in terms of how they market their products to children under 12. As we know, childhood obesity is a big problem in the US and it starts in childhood often because kids are drinking sugary soft drinks. So if these massive marketers have voluntarily or otherwise decided to market less or at least more clearly or more strategically to children under 12, I think that's probably a good thing. I would agree with you. It's a good thing. I think even if their intention is not truly altruistic, there still can be good things that come out of this. You know, I, I loved the quote on the site that said, if we achieve that goal of reducing the amount of calories consumed from beverages across the country, that would be a profound public health achievement. That was the former president of the Alliance for a Healthier Generation. So let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, the thing that sticks out to me is these companies are using their size and scale to attack a real and growing problem, in, especially in the United States, which is obesity. And so the fact that there is an effort towards it, even if I think we're, we're reaching a point in society, or at least I hope we're reaching a point in society, that we can stop being against things just because it's not the perfect solution and start being in favor of things that are at least 
making progress towards something better than what it was. We're not going to get the magic wand waving and suddenly everything's better. I think we need to be okay with the baby steps and the slow, steady progress. Yeah. And I think I've seen many studies that have said that consumers today want companies to take a stand on social issues. And obesity is arguably one of those social issues. So I think this is, they also may be reading the feedback from consumers that they expect these companies that are in a big position and in a marketing, you know, and have the marketing power to make a difference to actually take that stand. It, it kind of reminds me, I mean, this is a much smaller company, of course, but uh, back in episode 57, uh, which was just a couple episodes ago, we highlighted Imperfect. Dan Gingis, episode savant. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to say that every time you call out an episode from now on. <laughs> I take the time to look them up. Just saying. Anyway, we highlighted Imperfect Produce, and they're a much, much smaller company. But remember that one of the their reasons for being is to work on the food waste dilemma within the United States. And so I think that's, you know, also makes me appreciate them more as a customer and, and frankly makes me stay on longer, even if I've thought about canceling, because I know they're doing good things. Agreed. I think more and more companies companies are embracing social responsibility. They're embracing some of these causes. And to your point, all the research shows consumers are expecting them to. So it's not enough anymore to say, oh, well, the government will take care of it. More and more people are looking to the corporations to you know, take a stand. And I don't know that I've seen this type of collaboration before between major competitors. You know, I don't recall fast food companies getting together to combat obesity. I don't recall tobacco companies coming together to fight nicotine addiction, other than when they were forced to, as a result of lawsuits, fund no smoking uh, campaigns and things like that. Maybe liquor companies fighting underage drinking, and I know there's some money that goes to ads there. But I will say I like it that these big industry leaders are saying we are part of the problem. We need to be part of the solution. Yeah, and I think that you just nailed the the key takeaway there, Joey. Is that sometimes you have to put the competitiveness aside to solve a problem. That's what stuck out of anything. That's what stuck out to me was that this is Coke and Pepsi and Dr. Pepper, bitter rivals, and they're getting together to try to solve a societal problem, which I, I give them some credit to. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Since we're on the topic of drinking, I love technology, but I also love it when it's used for something that the world probably never knew it needed. In this case, I am talking about the drink exchange. So is that like when I order a mocktail and it isn't sweet enough and I have to exchange it out for one that is? <laughs> That's a good one. I see what you did there, Joey. But no, not exactly. The drink exchange is software that allows bars to change drink prices in real time based on supply and demand. It's like a stock market, but with drinks. So 
I think I understand, but give me an example of how this would work. All right. So let's say my buddies and I are done with our softball game and we walk into a bar and we... <laughs> this is a total hypothetical, ladies and gentlemen. Not at all. This is I don't have buddies, life. nor do I play softball. <laughs> Next, discuss. Anyway, we walk into a bar and we all order Bud Light. Now, as it turns out, what happens is demand for Bud Light has gone up. And so what will happen in a mere moment is this drink exchange will actually raise the price of Bud Light because demand is high, and it will lower the price of Miller Light because nobody's ordering that. And what's interesting is this all plays out on a big screen in the bar that literally looks like a stock market screen with all of these stocks, quote unquote, that are actually beverages going up and down in price. And we're going to share a photo of this on our show notes at experiencethisshow.com. So I reached out to one of the founders of the drink exchange because I was really curious. And his name is Chris Dunkley. He's based in the UK and he was kind enough to record some thoughts for us exclusively for the experience of this show. And these are about the idea behind the drink exchange. So let's have a listen. My name is Chris Dunkley and I'm one of the founders of The Drink Exchange. Uh, the Drink Exchange all started with an idea over a beer back in the mid-90s and since then we have taken The Drink Exchange to 19 countries and across a, a huge cross-section of bars, pubs, clubs, restaurants, you know, in, in, in all different cultures. Um, and we also integrated into over 90 different POS systems. Um, the boring but, but, but it is the important part. Um, generally run as a weekly event, the drink exchange turns a bar into a stock exchange for an evening with a selection of drinks or, or food prices rising and falling every few minutes based upon what is being bought. On top of that, we have the market crashes when at various points throughout the evening, maybe all, maybe one, maybe a selection of products will crash down to a minimum price, screens start flashing, social media notifications go out and everyone rushes to the bar to buy the products that have dropped. As you can probably imagine and picture, this is great fun for the customers. But the reason it works so well is that this fun is matched with the bar being in complete control of products floated on the stock market, of minimum prices, maximum prices, and of those all-important market crashes. Um, and in doing so, the bar can control what is sold, at what time, at what price. You know, for example, if a bar knows that their customers tend to leave at 10 p.m., then they can schedule a market crash for just before this time. And one of the ways the drink exchange significantly increases bar revenue. Um, and sales not only increase, but increase on products that the bar wishes to sell, because the products that are floated on the stock market will, be, will tend to make up the majority of the sales. Um, one of the case studies on, the, on our website uh, highlights how significantly we increase sales, um, increasing sales from £1,500 uh, to £8,500, uh, running a weekly event over a six-week period. Um, live trading prices are displayed on the TVs around the bar for the customers to see, uh, and the clever bit uh, being that all those prices are automatically synchronised on the POS terminals making the drink exchange not only one of the most effective sales driving tools out there, but also one of the easiest and simplest to implement. We only work with a single bar in an area, uh, and this exclusivity works really well. And we often see bars running successfully for years and years. Um, and you're just creating another USP for that bar. And you can find out uh, more details um, on our website at www.drinkexchange.co.uk. So I think there's a number of things that I love about this. The first is that it creates a really unique experience 
for bar patrons. And I love that he only gives it to one bar in each city because that keeps it unique. If he, if everybody could have it. If every bar had it, it's nothing, right? This turns into what most bars have, which is the kind of neon light of the brand that after you've been in enough bars, you don't even see them anymore because everybody has the neon light logo that of the beer company. Exactly. So I think that was one of the really cool things. I also love the idea of gamification. And we see this all over the place in different industries that it really does work. And one of the things that I've heard is that people actually try to game the system while they're in the bar. So Miller Lite goes down and everybody says, hey, let's get it for a steal. A round of Miller Lights. Let's go quick. Right. But the thing is, is that that's great for the bar, right? Because it's got people ordering more. Yeah, they're selling more. And at some point, again, depending on the bar, if it's super crowded and everybody's ordering the same thing, you may actually run low. And I don't know about you, but back in the days when I was drinking, I would go into a bar and sometimes you'd order something and they didn't have it and you have to get something else. Here, it's almost like that softens the blow because you watched the price go up or the price go down accordingly. Absolutely. And obviously, the opposite is true, too. If you've got a bottle of something that's been sitting there and nobody's drinking it, a great way to get them to drink it is to lower the price. So I I think it's terrific. And we talk a lot on this show about remarkable and about making experiences remarkable, literally worthy of talking about. And this is something people talk about. They post it on social media. That's where I found out about it. I saw somebody tweet about it. And you saw something on Twitter. I know. What a shock. Guess what I didn't see on Twitter? I know. Yeah, that would be any. But this is the very definition of remarkable, don't you think? Yes, 100%. 100%. I mean, in a world where there are so many choices for what a consumer can do, there are so many bars that they could go to. There are so many restaurants that serve alcohol they go to. There are so many ballparks that serve alcohol they could go to. They could stay home and drink, right? There are so many options for them. You have to stand out. It's not enough anymore to just say, well, we've got it on tap or we've got it available here because they can get it cheaper, easier and faster at home. Not to mention like delivery services that will deliver stuff now. So I love that someone is trying to disrupt this a little bit. I also think it's an interesting, depending on which bar and which clientele, I could see this playing really well in certain neighborhoods. So I'm thinking of kind of the financial district in whatever neighborhood you're in, where you've got people in the room who work in financial services. I think they might, because of their natural interest in the stock market and numbers and pricing and price elasticity, they might get even more excited about it and start to feel an affinity towards a bar. And my gut instinct is that is a customer segment that has decent disposable income that isn't necessarily building bar loyalty around some of the other segments that bars have a tendency to yeah, target. Yeah, totally agree on that because the other segment might be coupon clippers, which might be the exact reverse, right? Right, uh, right, but, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I think that is, I think that's totally true. And so I really like that this is fun and I think it's humorous, which ties back to our first segment. But the other thing that I love about this is it reminds me of why Uber became so successful. And it's that Uber solved not just the problem for the rider, but they also solved the problem for 
the driver. So they removed lots of pain points for both parties. And here, this is doing the same thing, right? It's creating a fun and engaging gamification for the consumer, but it's also solving a real problem for bar owners, which is that it's helping to keep costs down. It's raising revenues, and and they've been able to prove that across all sorts of bars. This is why I think this kind of technology, we're going to continue to see it, and it's going to continue to be effective when you help all parties around it. We've talked, you've listened. Now it's time to act. There are many things you could do to take what you've learned in this episode and implement it. But at times, that can feel overwhelming. Instead, why not just focus on three takeaways? Takeaway number one, have you considered using humor as a way to engage with prospects and customers? Humor, when used smartly and targeted correctly, can be a great way to start any experience off on the right foot. It can apply to almost any company in any industry. You don't have to start with a whole marketing campaign. It could be something as simple as allowing your social media customer service agents to be witty in their replies and show their unique personalities. Think about how you can get your business to lighten up a little. Takeaway number two. How can you work with others in your industry to address a real societal problem? Many companies ignore or hide behind known issues in their industry, whether it be health-related, environmental, human rights issues, and the like. Coke, Pepsi, and Dr. Pepper knew that sugar and obesity were and are growing problems in the United States especially, and they worked together to do something about it. This sincerity creates more trust with these brands, like they're not just out to make a buck at any cost. What are the issues that are pervasive in your industry, and what can you do about it? Takeaway number three, how can you instill a unique, remarkable aspect into your business? Bars often struggle with brand identity because, let's face it, they're all selling the same stuff. But one bar in each city has stepped up to do something different by installing the drink exchange, and the result is increased sales for them and a fun, memorable experience for their patrons. What's one thing you can do in your business to stand out from the crowd? And those are the three takeaways from this episode. If you liked the episode, please consider sharing it on your favorite social media channel so others can find out about us. And as always, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. This.